Dave. Hello, Ollie, old fruit. How are you? I'm very well. It's nice to see and hear you again after a two-week absence. Yes, Deary indeed. Me. Two weeks. Deary us. We went away. We got distracted. We drank cider and then George Osborne happened. So we weren't <laughs> around. Um, but we're back now. And what have we got coming up this week, Ollie? Well, in this week's Sustainable number 22, we have got some babble involving trees. We've got some serious stuff involving refugees and climate change. We've got an Inhoff who everybody hates, like everyone total, hates. Total, total. <laughs> In half this one. But we've also got some cheer featuring music and mm. we've got some predictions that reveal once again we're not quite as sage-like as we might like to be. No, we're not, are we? So this is Sustainable, your weekly-ish environmental <laughs> podcast of, about the environment and politics and why everything is confusing and weird. Um, and although we do work for environmental charities still, um, <laughs> we are nonetheless, uh, these are very much our own views, not the views of anyone else who might have anything to do with us. If you have a problem, let us know and we will ignore you. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's crack on. On we go. Sustainable of the Week. So, Sustainable of the Week. Every week we have a look at some of the nonsense that's been spewed out into the atmosphere. Not emissions, but guff by people. Rubbish spoken about going green, even though it's usually people who aren't going green. Uh, this week we have got some trees stuff. Haven't we, Dave? Trees. Some trees you stuff. Know, we're well into trees. We're tree huggers. We're hippies. Yeah. It's yeah, about we time like. we did trees. Yeah, we do. So this has been uh, pointed out to us by our friend Issue Boy um, on Twitter, who said that last week the United Nations, which is where all of the nations live, that, that is correct. Yep, one hundred percent accurate. They, live. they brought out a report last week, which they do every now and then, into trees. How many trees there are? Are all the trees being chopped down? Are there more trees? Are trees nice? Are trees full of spice? That kind of thing, right? <laughs> and these reports are called a Forest Resources Assessment. FRA. Remember the acronym, it's going to be used later, right? <laughs> and the FRA comes out every five years and it says how rainforests are doing and trees and stuff like that. And would you like to know what it says? Oh, yes, please. Right, Arabella? FRA 2015 shows a very encouraging tendency towards a reduction in the rates of deforestation and carbon emissions from forests and increases in capacity for sustainable forest management. Uh, right, so, um, OK, the, a very encouraging tendency towards mm. a reduction in the, in the rates of deforestation. Well, that's that's good. I mean, that means that... It means that we're cutting down trees less quickly than we were. Yes. And that's you know encouraging. What's it's very encouraging. Mm. We are still cutting down all the bloody trees, <laughs> but we are doing it, relaxed about it a little bit slower <laughs> than we were before. What this report said, that since 1990, an area the size of South Africa, which is sodding <laughs> massive... South Africa's huge! Huge! Oh, God. An area the size of South Africa has been chopped down, and it's gone, right? And that's your headline of the report, we're chopping down all the trees, but 
Because of this ludicrous tendency to babble and because of the way that, you know, people like the United Nations who are trying to stop people cutting down all the trees probably need to say how, hey, you know, we're not cutting down all the trees. They bring out a report which tries to say that we're no longer cutting down all the trees, but we are cutting down all the trees. (laughs) And I don't care whether you want to call it increases in capacity for sustainable forest management. What that means is one day we might work out how not to cut down all the trees. But we are still cutting down all the trees. <laughs> says, aren't we? The, the direction, aren't we? The dire- we are, we are, we are. And the, the report says, the direction of change is positive, with many impressive examples of progress in all regions of the world. And I, I get it. I get that you can't go from one day, everyone chopping down all the trees, to the next day, no one chopping down all the trees. And, you know, there's got to be an element of sort of, well, things are not getting sort of dramatically worse. But still, South Africa. I mean, I know, South Africa. So here's what's going to happen. So next time, next time I am kneeling on your shoulders, punching you in a sensitive area very, very hard. What I'm going to do is I'm going to slow... there will be a next time. There There will be a next time. What I'm going to do is slow down the rate at which I am punching you in the testicles, and I expect you to consider that a good thing. <laughs> And also, why not? Why can't we go pretty much overnight from chopping down all the trees to not chopping down any trees, right? It's all right to chop down some trees if you're planting more trees, but why do we have to accept that every year we're going to lop off more and more and more of the world's forest? Why why has that got to be like that? I wouldn't necessarily say that it is always all right to chop down trees if you're planting more trees, because you can't just chop down 400-year-old trees and say it's all right, I've planted some new ones. They're not the same, are they? Old trees suck much more carbon out of the atmosphere support much more life, etc. So I don't think it is all right. People are going to chop down trees because they need stuff to build houses with or sell or whatever. And there are, it's complex. We should do a whole bloody programme about it, shouldn't we? But, Ugh. you know, you can't, you can't just expect one night everyone to go, do you know what, that's it, I'm done with my tree chopping. Although I like the way that this has expressed this, this whole report because it does sort of suggest that, like, maybe we'll just chop down trees after lunch. From now on, you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll just take it easy, and that could be the reason that we have uh, we've positively slowed. <laughs> so the article in which this uh, story emerged in the Guardian, as per bloody usual, anyway, says cheerily uh, the following: natural forest will probably continue to decline mainly through land clearance for agriculture, but due to growing demand for forest products and environmental services. The area of planted forests is likely to continue to increase in coming years. Oh, brills, brill bags. <laughs> so, I don't know what I don't know what any of that means. That, Environmental <laughs> services. There's a term that wants putting into a bag and having a brick put in with it and chucked in the canal. I tell you, that's blinking awful. That is. But uh, the thing I did want to say, serious point coming up. Right, so shut up and listen again. No, you shut um, up and listen. I'd finish my. I'd finish my point. This we'll my, finish it. My point, right? Was Finish now it. that you're listening, sharp. Was that they're saying that rainforest is going to get chopped down? Uh, yes. You know, all the old stuff, the lovely stuff with all the lovely creatures in it. But they're like plantations of bamboo or willow or like probably just fake grass that you see everywhere in London now. That stuff's going to increase with precisely nothing living in it. Oh, yeah. brills! But bamboo, more bamboo means more pandas, right? You like more pandas? Oh, please, please, <laughs> please! I've had a long week. 
So uh, the serious point that I did want to make before I was so rudely interrupted was <laughs> that, uh, of course, the, re- the, the what's going on here? Why are people chopping down the trees? And the main reason for it is for agriculture, which particularly means meat and dairy, right? And it is one of the great sort of unspoken taboo things in all of this, that people aren't chopping down trees because they really, really, really like chopping down trees. Or there are people, like I'm sure Tony Abbott is out every morning with a chainsaw <laughs> and a team of burly lumberjacks uh, taking down trees just for fun, right? But most people do it because they want to grow things like soya on the places where the trees stood. And that's what's going on. And and I think that unless we do something about the amount of meat and dairy that we all eat, which is where it mostly goes, they're going to keep on chopping down trees. So they can keep on fannying around, issuing reports where they try to make it sound like we're not chopping down all the trees, even though we are chopping down all the trees. But unless they start stopping people stuffing their face with meat... Uh, we're going to chop down more trees. So this is a this is a light-hearted podcast where we try to find the amusing bits of um, you know the environment and politics in the world. But there's frankly nothing amusing about this week's topic, which is uh, what I guess is being called the the growing refugee crisis. The fact that an awful lot of people are fleeing persecution in different places, um, but lots of attention is being placed on Syria um, and looking for places to to be free of that persecution, to live, to make new lives. Um, and, I mean, we've we've read some really interesting stuff, actually, in preparation for this. For once, <laughs> there's been a bit of preparation. Uh, yeah, we, thought, <laughs> we thought we'd better get our facts right for this one. It doesn't yeah. normally bother us so much. Um, and then we'll post some of it online. There's one particular article in, in Vox, which I think was just a brilliant example of how in a calm and lengthy way you can set out factually some of the stuff which has gone on. Um, we'll post that we'll post that online. Clearly it's complicated. Clearly people want to simplify it. However, um, what has also been happening this week uh, is that a certain narrative has been developed about whether or not this is connected to climate change, whether or not the mass movement of people um, is connected to the change in... Um, in agriculture conditions or, or, or the, sh- the sheer temperature or the ability to um, to keep safe. Uh, and, well, we just wanted to look at that, really. Yeah, we did. And this is an interesting, um, an interesting thingy, actually, that has been talked about for quite a long time, kind of in the abstract. And it is now possible that we're beginning to see it in reality. And, and that thing is this. The world is a system. But people often think about climate change and they think about the environment and they think about it as somehow sort of something that happens apart from people and the life that they lead and the planet that they, they live on. And, and actually what happens is that for a lot of places in the world, I was in India a few years ago and I kind of got my head around this in a way that I hadn't before. A lot of places in the world, agriculture and things like that are already really kind of touch and go in a lot of years, right? So there are a lot of places where there are frequent droughts and in a lot of places in India they will stockpile grain in good years because they expect there to be very bad years where they where they can't do it for example um, if climate change um, climate change has already warmed the world by you know about a degree since pre-industrial times um, if climate change continues to do that basically it is going to get hotter and harder to grow things in places where it is already hard and and a huge amount the vast majority of it isn't it of the world's population lives in areas sort of in between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, um, where you know, frankly, stuff is already pretty 
pretty tough. And often you get flippant little articles that talk about, that try to bring it home to posh British consumers by saying you'd have to pay more for your coffee or yeah. for your bruschetta oh, man, or something yeah. like that. But actually what it means is a lot of people are either going to die or they have to go somewhere else. We talked about this um, sort of in episode 13, I think it was, when we looked at drought in California and we started talking about this a bit. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if you live on a bit of land where the going is tough, it gets a bit warmer, and for whatever reason in a given year, your crops fail, where before you might have had a slightly less chance. What you're going to do is you're going to go somewhere else, right? Yeah. Is what's going to happen. Or you're going to try and get water from somewhere, as has happened in Syria, and be denied it. And you're going to rock up first, presumably, in the cities, in the country that you live in. Um, and that's going to lead to unrest, and that's going to lead to civil war, as has happened in Syria, and then you're going to get a global refugee crisis. And although you really can't, I mean, you know, you're right, this is complicated, and you really don't want to say climate change is the cause either now or it isn't now or, or in the future of migrant movements but it's another factor it's a, a ch- another change in the system that makes something that's already you know an overpopulated planet even harder to get on with itself yeah and i i think well just to comment on the Syria stuff clearly the factors contributing to the civil war there are many and varied and largely political and i think that's i've read a few things which which pains to point that out Ever, you know, food shortage has has been a factor. Um, drought has been a factor, but you know the the actions of the of the regime from two thousand and eleven onwards and the long standing um, tribal, for want of a better word, better word, differences between um, communities who have been marginalised or or whatever is is too complicated for me to get my head around. Um, but it's it's clearly more important than just the, the climactic factors. Um, but you know, I was I was on the telly the other day. Um, just drop that in there. I was on the telly. Yep, that's me on the telly. Thanks very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was on telly the other day talking about something I know nothing about, which is um, not unusual. And that particular time it was about sea level rise, and I did a bit of research before that, um, and didn't realise until then that two point four billion people live within sixty miles of the coast. Right. Now, if the sea level continues to rise, and the reason I was on there is because there was a terrifying NASA report about how it's gone up eight centimetres in the last 20 years or something and how it's going up faster than people thought, you have real impacts on people's ability to live in coastal areas because things like salination of the land, too much salt in the land means you can't grow crops or at least you can't grow the same crops. Um, and you've got to move somewhere where you can grow crops. Or, you know, as the oceans warm and the tropics become too warm for a lot of life, um, fishes are going to have to eat, find their food somewhere else, which means people who eat fish are going to have to find their fish somewhere else. And it, it doesn't necessarily always mean that you're going to end up with people having to move country as a result of this, but they are going to have to move from where they live to find somewhere they can get their food um, or, or you know, shelter or work, or whatever. And there's obviously a lot more factors. So it is, I think it's right to draw attention to the fact that climate change will only make this worse. But it's, I think the most sensible things I've read do acknowledge that you can't just say what we're seeing now is because of climate change. Um, it's one of many factors and it's awful. So what's actually happened uh, over the last week or so has been an increasing number of senior politically types coming out and actually talking about this. So saying, you know, um, 
climate change is going to make this worse in the future. And they very much, you know, they do stick to the future tense. They're very much not really talking about now. But you've had Jean-Claude Juncker, who's the president of the European Commission, saying that, quote, the continent will have climate refugees tomorrow unless the world does something about climate change. Um, you've got Lord Ashdown, the man who has not yet eaten his hat, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> former leader of the Liberal Democrats, saying this is the beginning of the future, it's not going to go away, um, just wait till global warming comes. And President Hollande of France, um, who says, yeah, it won't be hundreds of thousands of refugees, it will be millions if climate change isn't sorted out. Um, grateful to our friends at Carbon Brief for summarising all of that kind of nicked their summary there um and you know there's been academic work for a while um talking about talking about this stuff and what something that occurred to me um i saw a presentation a couple of years ago now from a general a very senior military figure who was actually very active in climate change and you know it's the bits of governments that do sort of security and do diplomacy and do stuff like that, things like the Ministry of Defence in the UK and the Foreign Office and those people, those are the bits of governments and in the, you know, the USA. US, well, US military as well, yeah, they do. Yeah, they're the they're ones that have been talking it. about climate change for blinking ages. They've been, they've been waving a flag long before people like George Osborne and his silly penny-pinching treasury um, you know, even started to think about it. Like, it's the people who, who, who look at how the world is going to pan out over the next 20 years. And they look at, you know, where do all the people live? Where is stuff marginal? Where have you got dictators? where's all the oil what will climate change do to all of that and what you end up with is a blinking scary literal picture you can look at it on a map you can see what it looks like and how you know the the pressure it might cause and i suppose the main point i want to make about all of this is climate change is often thought about as just something fluffy and a luxury and something we can't afford to do but in is it it's about like it's about people and where they live and whether they live or die and whether if you want to get all horrific and daily mail and you kippy about it whether they come over here and try and steal your tomatoes i mean that is what we're talking about yeah and to go back to to where we started um the conclusion of this amazing what in my opinion very good vox article was that the, the only way that we can sufficiently deal with this is for countries to give people new homes countries to absorb the the moving populations i mean clearly the source of them has to be tackled differently but but the fact is there are 19 million people around the world who are as they say refugees they are being forced from their homes and you can't just not house these people and that means change that means that the communities that you grow up with are going to probably look a little bit different to how they were when you first became aware of them and part of that in this article's opinion is what kind of fuels the if not outright kind of racism and xenophobia certainly the hostility to new people and the and the unwillingness to accept um that change it's 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 scary for people it's a sense of loss of the community that they've grown up with um but that's the reality we are gonna we're gonna have to give away some of our tomatoes and uh you know, be it it to Mr UKIP or otherwise. And that word loss is important, isn't it? Because that's what's really going on. For people, you know, for for people here in nice, rich countries, you do something about climate change, you know, you think of it as a sacrifice. For people actually in marginal bits of the world where climate change bites, it's literal loss. It's loss of livelihood, loss of family, loss of life if, you know, if, if... 
if they get swept up in awful civil wars or migrant movements or or whatever. And that's why there's this um, at the climate talks that are happening in Paris towards the end of of this year. There's a growing call for as well as countries getting together to talk about how much emissions cuts they're going to do. At the heart of that, you have a sort of financial mechanism, a thing called uh, loss and damage, where actually the rich countries are, are basically compensating the poor sods in other countries who are the ones being pushed off their land, being pushed out of their homes and their and their traditional ways of life because they can't live there anymore because the rich countries have gone and made everything horrible through climate change. And that, I think, is an interesting... All of this climate refugee stuff that we've seen the politicians talking about in the last week, I think, talks a bit about that and starts to make that seem like a slightly more relevant and interesting part of the climate talks than has traditionally been the case. And that's the right way to think about climate change, really, and the environment in general. You know, we were talking earlier about chopping down trees. It's not just, oh, nice trees aren't there anymore. You know, it has actual effects on people's lives and the state of the planet um, and whether or not they, you know, we have a future to call a future. In half of the week. So, in-half time, um, after that rather delicate subject, we're going to become incredibly indelicate and talk about an asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, yes. This is a man who... So I should just explain to people who aren't regular listeners that Inhofe is the section of the show named after Senator Jim Inhofe in the United States of America uh, who thinks that climate change isn't real because there's still snow. So we didn't think that was very good and we've named an entire section after him in his honour. And this week's Inhofe, the chap sitting in Inhofe corner, and it usually is a chap, to be honest, is, well, it's Rupert Mur- Murdoch. Roop to his friends. He tweeted me once, you know. Did he? He did. He'd done a tweet at me. Well, more specifically, I'd done a tweet at him where I basically was abusive. I was, I was a troll. You know that thing you do when you just like call a celebrity a bell end because like, you think they won't notice. He noticed. Right? And he, and he replied to it. Shit. And I'd, shit. Uh, shit. Shit. I'd, I'd said so. It was in the Olympics. And um, I'd, I'd said something about how Rupert Murdoch would do an awful job of covering it. And he replied and said, no, we do a really good job. And there was some bants and it was very good. Mega lols. Mega lols with Rupert Murdoch. Um, anyway, yeah, so what's happened is he has bought the National Geographic magazine. Oh, good. Yes. Oh, this you know is great. National. Yeah, I do know. I used to collect on, yeah. the National Geographic magazine. Quite a lot of people do because it's, you know, a very elegant yeah. sort of yellow. Oh, there you go. He's holding one up. That's that one. famous one picture of the most, the most kind of striking picture in the world, isn't it? Those incredible eyes that that woman had. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, amazing magazine and uh, loved around the world and a bastion of uh, science and um, nature reporting um, and, and, crucially, funding of scientists. And uh, <laughs> now now those scientists are going to be funded by Rupert Murdoch or rather, I suspect, Rupert Murdoch will be funding other scientists to do other science. Yeah, God, it's awful, isn't it? Um this is a man who thinks climate change is some sort of horrific gargantuan farce. Have a, have a listen, play a bit, will you? Have a listen to uh, what he thinks about climate change. We should approach climate change with great scepticism. Uh, climate change has been going on as long as the planet is here, and there'll always be a little bit of it. At the moment, the North Pole is melting a bit, but the South Pole is getting bigger. Uh, things are happening, but how much are we doing? Uh, with emissions and so on. But as far as Australia goes, nothing. Okay, he's not the only 
octogenarian in the world who thinks odd things about the fact that the climate is changing and i get that a large part of you know a large part of this stuff is is generational and cultural and and you know i understand that and rich people are probably less likely to think it's a problem than poor people and all that right but honestly what a total inhoff and i don't mind so much if total inhoffs flap around being inhoffy in a corner somewhere but I've, i'm looking through you can, i'm looking at national geographic now i'm looking at it right and there's what there is here's lovely big thing in the middle of it all about glaciers look glaciers melting glaciers in the middle of this and a great big beautiful photo story about how uh, glaciers are supposed to advance or retreat at a glacial pace and they are disappearing before our eyes and a whole load of stuff about climate change right so what's happened is a man who thinks climate change is basically nothing to flap your arms about has bought a magazine that beautifully for 125 years has expressed the wonder of the natural world and in increasingly frequent times has talked about how we're nosing it up and as you say <laughs> gives out money to uh, scientists, a lot of whom will then go and look at exactly how we're nosing it up. And why has he done it for? Well, why has he done it? Presumably yeah. he doesn't like it. Really, you can't abide all this reasoned science and a relatively powerful media organ that is saying climate change is bad, we should do something about it. And he's thought, well, I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> I'll buy that and put a stop to it. Well, I think it's more that he sees great big flashing dollar signs in front of his eyes. Isn't it? Like National Geographic <laughs> yes. has been non-profit, I think, the magazine. Yeah, that's for, famously. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it ain't going to be anymore because <laughs> Rupert Murdoch's going to ring it out, take all its money and pump it into the great big horrible edifice from which spews some of the world's largest sources of global warming misinformation in the, for- in the form of Fox and all the stuff that comes out with. It's horrific. <laughs> Boo who is all I say to that. Get in in half corner and stay there. Stay there. Don't come out. Don't. <laughs> Don't. Reasons to be cheerful. Okay, so reasons to be cheerful. Goodness me, we need one this week. Every week we do try to look at the glorious, wonderful, great stuff going on in the world um, to give us a little pep up, to make us think that everything's going to be all right. And this week, woo, it's it's possibly our greatest ever reason to be cheerful because the combined musical might of John Bon Jovi, of Paul McCartney, of Sheryl Crow, for goodness sake, let alone Fergie, have come together to write a love song to the earth. Have you heard this? <laughs> put it yeah. on. But don't put too much of it on. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Oh, it's unforgivable. It's, Ow. <laughs> it's just so generic. Oh, it's got four How chords in it. That's what it's got. Like, this is inexcusable, right? It's inexcusable for two reasons, right? Firstly... No, three. Three reasons. <laughs> Firstly, because as you pointed out to me earlier, this is Paul McCartney who's done this, right? Now, Paul McCartney has gone a little bit off in the last few years, right? A little oh, tiny yeah. bit off. Um, it was brilliant up until the age of 27. Yeah. But less so after that, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure he knows more than four chords. Like, some of his songs have got five or six in them, right? So that, that's unacceptable for a start, right? Secondly... The lyrics, have you actually, the version that I've got playing in front of me here has got the lyrics flashing up in front of me and I'm just going to read them out to you. Keep it safe, keep it safe, keep it safe. <laughs> keep Mama Earth safe. Oh, we're getting to the rap in a minute. Hang on a minute, wait a minute. I will pay good money for you to do this rap live. 
Okay. From deep seas straight up to Everest. She's under crazy stress unless you want to be motherless. Clean heart, green heart is the way I stress. Speediness and too much greediness. Six billion people, actually seven, all want plentiness. Some people think this is harmless. But if we continue, there'll only be emptiness. Oh my god, this is awful. And the rap's the best bit about it. And, also. and the third reason why it's inexcusable is because it sounds like a song that Simon Cowell would send to Naughty Corner and refuse to have anything to do with it. It is just so boring. And it's not allowed. It's not allowed. Is it? I agree, I agree. And it's, frankly, it's, it's the last thing the Earth needs. The Earth has got a lot of shit to deal with right now. It is, yes. It's working through some serious issues. The thing that is most horrific about it, I reckon, is this, right? All these stars have probably turned up, and they're you know, they doing it for free, and they turned up and done their little thingy and gone away, and iTunes aren't charging any tax... Uh, iTunes are giving it away. I think I'm not taking a cut from it or something when they're giving it away, and it's obviously its heart is in the right place, and I'm not necessarily upset with that. But then, if you're going to do all of that, make it good. Make I mean, it really, good. for make God's it, yeah. sake, like, it, it, make it good. It's like they didn't Not even e- listen to our uh, our episode on on rubbish protest songs. Yes, I mean, episode I, eighteen. I, I yes. presume they all did, but it's it's anyone who wrote this. It sounds like you didn't listen, and for that, there's no forgiveness. Yes, Paul McCartney, John Bon Jovi, Sheryl Crow. You have made me really, really uncheerful. <laughs> So, yes, for uh, for every Inhofe, there is, of course, an anti-Inhofe. Uh, not every week, but this week, there certainly is. And who better to sit proudly on the rostrum high up in anti-Inhofe Square than Vivian Westwood, Dame Vivian Dame. Westwood, uh, a fantastic and distinguished fashion designer, but also a very active campaigner on issues of climate change and all sorts, actually. But this week... Oh, wow. I mean, she's never been sort of shy about her activism. She's never particularly pulled her punches (laughs) this week. And we saw the press release uh, yesterday on Thursday. We're recording this on a Friday. We saw the press release on Thursday announcing this, where she said quite calmly that she was going to drive a tank to David Cameron's house (laughs) and issue a chemical attack in retaliation for fracking being undemocratically foisted on, uh, on people in the UK. And then she did. (laughs) She did. She did. Here it is. Look. That that is the sound of Vivian Westwood driving a tank through the rural Oxfordshire constituency of Whitney uh, (laughs) with anti-fracking slogans on it. Brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's just amazing. Right up to David Cameron's front door, at which point she discovered that he wasn't in. (laughs) Amazingly. Amazingly. (laughs) He was apparently today out in Yorkshire having a go at Yorkshire people. I don't know if you saw that, but... I did, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Anyway, she'll she'll be taking a flotilla of light infantry up to Yorkshire, presumably, to lay waste (laughs) them. Dame Vivian, we salute you. Well done. (laughs) For every Inhofe, there is an equal and opposite anti-Inhofe, and you definitely fit that bill. Prediction time! 
So, prediction time. This is the uh, the long-standing feature in Sustainable where we, we use our extreme insight and expertise. <laughs> yes. uh, Hon- honed by paying very <laughs> close attention to the stuff we're, we're paid to know about. <laughs> to, tell you, to tell you exactly what's going to happen, authoritatively and precisely what's going to happen. Uh, and in our previous 21 episodes, uh, Dave has got that right once. And I have got it right three times. And Twice. one of those is pretty controversial. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> anyway, last week, uh, well, two weeks ago, rather, when we lasted the episode, Dave, you made a prediction, didn't you? Oh, God. Well, y- yes. Should we pay uh, it? Yeah, should, what, we, should we pay silly, what you said? Yes, let, let, let's hear it. Let's hear silly me. Right. So I think what's going to happen next week, between now and episode 22, is the government is going to announce something good on the environment. Something Ooh. that uh, it may not be wonderful and perfect, it may not escape our babbly clutches, but it is going to be generally positive uh, after... Mm. Oh, yeah. How did that one go? Well, okay, not not good. So there hasn't been a good thing happened. And in fact, uh, last Friday, um, another bad thing happened, didn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's yeah. a Columpin Great uh, would-be wind farm, which was going to be built off of the Dorset coast uh, in a place called Navitus Bay, which would have been 121 very large turbines, 10 miles. So you could 10 miles <laughs> off the coast. You basically hardly see the perishing things, um, which was all pretty much, you know, got a great deal down the line, all pretty much done and dusted, and then uh, the Tories aren't going to build that now. Not happening. They're not going to build it. They're not going to build it. And um, basically, I mean, the the planning inspector has recommended they don't build it because of the view, which you can hardly see. Um, And, oh, God. And for the first time when this happened, for the first time, I, I actually nearly cried a bit just because it's relentless. Like, when's it going to stop? When's the anti-renewables in the UK, the anti-renewable stuff in the UK and from the UK government going to stop? It's ridiculous. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there are people listening on the South Coast who've got more informed views on this than me. But as far as I'm aware, right, the UNESCO World Heritage Site down there was granted purely on geographic grounds. That's your Jurassic Coast, isn't it? Yeah. Where where, where David Attenborough used to bang on about getting your fossils from and all that sort of stuff. And that's what makes it special, right? Not the view. Not the view out to sea. And this wind farm is not going to have any impact on the fossils. It's going to have an impact, a small impact, on the view. Yet this is reason enough to get rid of it. And, oh, God, it's just... I can't speak. And, <laughs> I, I know it's awful. I, and and um, I, look, it's nearly the end of the podcast, and I uh, yeah, sod the lot of them, frankly. But <laughs> I do think it's flaming ridiculous to do this on visual grounds. I went off to um, a few years ago. I was up in North Norfolk, where they've got Zonking Great Sheringham Shoals Wind Farm off the coast. There, and you could barely blink and see it. And not only can you barely blink and see it, but they've got they've turned like the fact that it's there into a tourist attraction. So they've got a great big wind farm like museum-y thing going on there and i think like if you even care about it you're a wally right <laughs> and if you if you care about it if you care about it enough to get really really upset about it you, you you're a you're a massive wally and i don't think i think it's you can barely see it yeah. it's britain the chances of you being able to see 10 miles off the dorset coast <laughs> at any given time the chances of you being able to walk 10 meters without tripping over into a sea of rain they're extremely <laughs> limited. What's going on with these people, right? And I'm sorry if you're one of those people who goes, well, 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 well view, I didn't buy my house so that I'd have to look at great big spinning wind turbines, blah, 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 blah. You can just <laughs> f*** off. <laughs>
Good. Well, I think I think that went well in all in all concerns. Um, yeah. so I didn't get that prediction right. Anyway, you didn't get it right. That's no. that's a take home take home message. I've got a prediction. Oh, have you? Okay. Um, what is it? Is it the thing I said last week? And you're going to take it as yours for this week again? I really think you're overreacting to this. <laughs> it's just not. I just think you need Very to cross. move on. Anyway, no. Uh, as we record this podcast, uh, we do not yet know who the new leader of the Labour Party will be. However, yes. by the time you release this podcast, we will Ooh, know who the new Labour Party is. It's a hostage to fortune. <laughs> I seem to remember somebody getting this wrong before. It's going to be. <laughs> now, I think that the leader of the Labour Party will be Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think... Oh, I think that... I'm going to go out there and say it. I think he's going to make Caroline Lucas of the Green Party a member of his cabinet. Now, I accept that this might not happen next week. His shadow cabinet, I should say, not his cabinet. But I think he's going to do it because you're not forced to choose people from your own party. And frankly, I'm not sure how many of them are going to stick around. So what I like about this very, very much is you are editing this podcast this week (laughs) and you're not going to start editing this until after you actually know whether you're right or not so this is going to be fun um last time you (laughs) predicted that ed Miliband would be the next prime minister of great britain and he didn't happen um so presumably what you've just done is sent the death knell firmly and and finally into the jeremy corbyn for leader campaign and you're going to have to wallow in your own um inhoffism forever So that is just about it for another episode of Sustainable, number 22 in the can. Thank you very much to all of you for listening. Thank you as ever to Dickie Moore, uh, who gives us all of our music at the beginning, the twiddly bits and at the end, and to his band Bearcraft and to his band Dream Themes, which don't do the music, but I saw them on YouTube this week. They're rather good. Check them out. Uh, yes, and you can, as always, uh, tell us what you think of the show by going to Twitter at the Babble Wagon, or finding us on Facebook at uh, Sustainababble, or emailing at hello at sustainababble.fish. And thank you, as always, to Arabella, who is sounding more and more grown up every week, if you want my opinion, and will probably be 22 in a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're done. I will see you next week. Not if I see you first. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> You've missed me singing along. I can see you mouthing along. That's it. God, this is a dog shit.